Good evening. Welcome to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Wraith. I'm joined by the two legends every Thursday. It's good evening. The Supermac and the Gibbo. How are you, lads? I'm good evening, Steve. Hi, guys. Hello, everybody. Great yeah. to see you, as, as always, in our chat about Newcastle United uh, with my two uh, favourite legends. And we, uh, God, we've got plenty to talk about, haven't we? Um, let's, let's talk about um, the first win of the season, uh, well, I'll say the first win of the season, second home win of the season, but the first win in four games for Newcastle at the weekend, Malcolm, um, against Brentford. It wasn't easy, it wasn't pretty, but it was three points and it was a clean sheet and it was the perfect start to this week. Well, yes, I suppose it was, but if you analyse the game, it, it was far from perfect. That uh, I, I thought that... Uh, Brentford, uh, particularly in the first half, Brentford would have thrashed Newcastle if they had had a Tony in the in the side or somebody like him. They're lacking Ivan Tony seriously, and, uh, and 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 so they failed to score, which opened up the uh, situation for Newcastle, but. Uh, Things aren't right at all for Newcastle just at the moment. And I think that uh, one or two things started to come to a head um, on Tuesday night over in Milan. Uh, I, I could see arguments happening on the pitch and what have you. Um, and and the way in which Tonali was taken off, I think there's things aren't quite gelling at the moment. But... Uh, uh, but with, with, with regards to uh, to the to the Brentford game, um, you know, you, it just concerns me that we're not making that many chances. Uh, that uh, fortunately um, uh, we, we got a penalty, um, albeit I thought that the goal that was disallowed was an absolute shocking decision, a real shocking decision. And it, and even on VAR, they don't get it right. And, and, and so um, I think that Newcastle, they, there's, there's a huge amount of improvement. Something isn't right just at the moment there. Okay, Gibbo, um, the Brentford game uh, was what we're going to start with and valuable three points because we were talking before, you know, before the game uh, last week that, um, you know, Newcastle, it was, it was unthinkable to see them lose that game. But, um, you know, it was like back to basics, I felt, with Eddie. You know, he, you know, there was a good defensive performance and, um, I, you know, I agree with what Mal Malcolm said. I didn't think there was anything wrong with the goal was disallowed. You could probably say... You know that maybe Alan Shearer was right and it shouldn't have been awarded that penalty, but it, it justified it when we had the the goal disallowed. I, I was going to say I heard both those things. One, the penalty that we did get wasn't a penalty, and certainly what Malcolm said is correct. The goal that we weren't allowed to have was perfectly all right. The the keeper just got he just didn't know where he was in the no of, no and and, and also John. John, sorry, I, I and I should have maybe mentioned it a bit earlier, but but the goalkeeper in making such a boo boo. If you looked at other instances, whenever the ball was in the air, he he was crapping himself. Yeah, I mean, they, they he, he didn't want to. He didn't want to go challenging, and he certainly 
didn't want to be challenged. I mean, the, the, two the two decisions may be were the wrong way around. Alan Shearer was saying the penalty shouldn't have been a penalty. And then I'm saying, and Malcolm's saying, and lots of others have said, the goal that was chalked off should have been uh, a goal. So at the end of the day, it was still going to be Newcastle 1, Brentford 0, and Wilson getting the winner. Yeah. It's just it wouldn't sure. have been a penalty. But sure. what I would like to say, what I would like to say to redress the balance on Brentford and on Milan was that having lost three games on the trot, which we had done just prior to that, I was of the opinion and said before the game, that has, first and foremost, that has to stop. We have to get a result against Brentford, come what may, and in any way we can. Because if we had gone to Milan on the back of a defeat or even a home draw after three defeats, it would have been like climbing Everest. Uh, so to win 1-0 in what wasn't a wonderful game, but if you go over a season of 40-odd games, you're going to get five or six that aren't wonderful games. I mean, the law of averages, unless you're Manchester City, tell you that you're not going to be dominant in every game, but the result is what matters. We probably played better in one of the in, against Liverpool for an hour before the disaster at the end than we did against Brentford, but we lost against Liverpool and we beat Brentford. And for me, I was just grateful to have beaten Brentford and got a very, very good point at AC Milan and kept two clean sheets. Mm. So yes. What, what had immediately gone before, which was three successive defeats, I'm grateful for small Murphys, not Murphy, the one that kicked the ball off the line. No, I was grateful for that as well. But small <laughs> Murphys. And I was I was just chuffed to get the result. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I have to agree. Uh, sorry, I have to strongly disagree with Alan Shearer with regards to the penalty. Again, I think the keeper bottled it and he and and so he he just clattered uh clattered it in, in, into Gordon. Now if you clatter into somebody in the penalty area and you don't make uh, contact with a ball, it's a penalty. Doesn't matter where it is in the area. It doesn't matter which way somebody is facing. If you clatter into somebody and don't get make, get a touch to the ball, it's a penalty. I mean, let's hope uh, that we turn things around, not the performance, but the results. And that's the first thing. The performance tends yeah. to come with results, you know. If you keep getting results, your performance will get better. Because your confidence will be so much higher, etc., etc. So, and this is a perfect game in some ways, Sheffield United, to make it three unbeaten uh, games on the trot and maybe three clean sheets at the weekend. But I, I certainly feel better going to Sheffield United, having beaten Brentford and having drawn with AC Milan, because at least we go in a good frame of mind to play what should be. Well, a match against Hammerthrowers, I would think, uh, Sheffield United. I mean, the long ball will be launched out of the the back of the cannon and they'll chase it like heck. But um, so, Or like heck in bottom. But uh, there we go. It's going to be interesting. But it, it's going to be so different, isn't it? AC Milan played the Italian way. Sheffield United won. 
Sheffield United will play the old English way. Boot the ball yeah. as far as you can into oblivion and chase it like hell. They'll play that sort of game, what people used to call the English game donkeys years ago. Yeah. It'll be a very different game to AC Milan in approach. It will. Well, let's look. Let's let's look back at Milan, Malcolm. Malcolm, you know, you 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 know, you knew what was coming in Italy. You, you spent a bit of time out there yourself. Uh, it was great to see the Champions League, um, you know, line up again. Newcastle, of course, standing on the pitch, the Champions League music uh, blaring out, it, and, and it was good to see the smile on Jacob Murphy's face. I mean, you know, just just all those little quirks, those little things, which yeah. set the hairs up in the back of your neck. But you know, the San Siro. Um, you know the, the crowd after the after their bad defeat at the weekend could have got on top of Newcastle. The pressure could have got on top of them, especially mm. after especially after a bit of you know a bit of disappointment in recent games. But I thought they went about their job professionally. I thought you know the opening 10-15 minutes. I thought they did quite well. I thought Milan, of course, then came on top. Um, but but ultimately, I think Newcastle just did what they had to do. You know, I I disagree with people who said they parked the bus. I, I I didn't I didn't see that myself. I thought there was some pretty good performances. I thought Gordon played well again. I thought Botman played well, um, and and I thought Nick Pope had a decent uh, you know a decent first half. Uh, you know, not so and much. I tell you who, who else, Steve. I thought played played really well, and that was Sean Longstaff. Yeah, another good oh, game. He was everywhere on the pitch absolutely everywhere he he was he was the glue that put the midfield together oh, and there's really one other guy there's yeah. one other guy that hasn't got a mention so far and a name check that's involved about four or five newcastle players and i thought kieran trippier was sensational man of the yes, match he was. Man i of thought the match. everything he did he was an inspired captain he led by example He's mm. got all the experience in the world. He played for Spurs. He played for Atletico Madrid and won La Liga. He played in the Champions League for Atletico Madrid. Um, he played. Every, he's played for England, left back, right backs, many, many, many times. And I thought. And by the way, their danger man was the left winger, the, the Portuguese fellow who thankfully yeah. got too clever for his own boots and fell over the ball completely. I mean, um, he looked more like Charlie Drake in, in that particular moment. That was the one that he was about, what, eight, eight nine yards out, wasn't he? Aye, when he, when he went yeah, to when back he... heel it and just tripped yeah. over the ball completely. But I, Trippier was against a man that might have absolutely taken to, him to the cleaners. Yes. It was his 33rd birthday, not a spring chicken, but by Jove, he put on a performance that said, if you lot think I'm finished because I'm 33 today. And Luvrumenko, if you think you're just going to get my position anytime soon, you can both start thinking again because this is what I can still do. And I thought he was absolutely he, magnificent. Yeah, he was class. He did it brilliantly. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. There, um, just um, one thing that I noticed, um, and, and this was regarding Gordon, Steve, uh, you said how well he played. He did play well, but but the one thing that I noticed about him, and I'm going to have to look on other games because I've, I've not really noticed it before, but his first touch isn't as good as it should be. And it, and it has a tendency to pop up sort of waist high and then he's got to wait for it to come back down before he can decide... And, and and get going on on what he wants to do, which is usually run it. 
Well, he's losing that vital half a second with the ball popping up. He's got to work on his control so that it's absolutely tight. And literally, as the ball comes, he should just be taking it in his stride and going. But he's not able to do that. He's got to wait until the ball comes back down from his waist. And then he, then he can look to make his run. And he's losing that vital fraction of a second. And, it, and that is a really important uh, time for somebody who, who runs on the ball. You know, one thing about um, that match in midweek in the Champions League, uh, San Siro, as Malcolm well knows, having lived just literally overlooking the, the stadium, mm -hmm. San Siro is one of the great stadiums of uh, club football anywhere in the world. And now, in the European competition, Newcastle have played three times at the San Siro. I was there in 1970 when we played Inter Milan there in the European Fairs Cup. A couple of seasons after we won that trophy, we played Inter Milan there and drew 1-1. In 2003, we went back to the San Siro to play Inter again in the Champions League and drew 2-2. And then this week we went back in the Champions yeah. League and uh, drew not not. So what is something? We've played three times in the San Siro and never lost. Never lost. In that's something. That's not My bad. Word, I didn't realise that. It's not oh. bad, Malcolm, is it? Oh, that is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what a statistic that is. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. And uh, and it it's a a real cauldron of a stadium. Yes, it, it it holds about uh, it holds just under eighty thousand, but it's it, it it's sort of very very straight um, how it goes up on either side, and so it it it's sort of overpowering from above that support if if you like, and uh, uh, and it, it's very tight I have to say. So I thought that. I thought the players adapted to it, adjusted to it really well. Um, I mean, they, they didn't. Well, but to but to keep a clean sheet, to come away unbeaten, absolutely terrific. It's a, it's a better point for us than it is for them because right oh, at the yeah. right at the end of the group stage, they've got to come to St James's. Yes. Let's see how adventurous and let's see how good and let's see how they defend at St James's. It's a, it'll be a different ball game. Well, they might want to say all the snidey things they've said after not not out there, but they should remember they've got to come here, mate. And our yeah. love will not just be quiet little pussy cats giving them a, a round of applause if they get a corner. They'll get it down their neck the same as we got it down ours, and let's see how they handle that. Right. Great point. And, and Great. just the just thought, guys, did you see PSG match after the Newcastle game? Because no, I, 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 I didn't see no. it. No. no. No, I didn't. 2-0, okay. wasn't it? I'm, I'm sure. I'm, if anybody, if anybody um, can uh, text in, because were PSG as good as the results suggested? Um, uh, Oh, you know, uh, Borussia Dortmund, as bad as the results suggest. That's right. Yeah, it will be interesting to know, John. You know, yeah. because PSG, they, they scored very late goals. 
Mm. So maybe the game was a lot tighter than the scoreline suggests. Well, it might be a lot tighter next time they play anyway, because they've got to come <laughs> to St. James's. <laughs> Obviously, from from our perspective, though, and I think that was a great point that uh, Tim made in the in the chat. There, I did put it up on screen. He said, "AC Milan." It's one of the biggest and most iconic Champions League clubs who play every year in the competition. Our team is young and inexperienced playing in Europe. Nil-nil in Milan is an amazing result. And I think I think you know we, yes. we can all agree we can all agree with that, lads. It's, yeah. um, we've got yeah. to remember we've got to remember, Steve, and I've made this point prior. In in and uh, obviously what Tim said there uh, totally backs up what my thinking is. We've got to remember that a season and a half ago, we were a relegation side in the Premier League. We sometimes forget because we've done so well so quickly, we forget where we were and how, how much of progress we've made. We've also got to remember that AC Milan have won the European Cup seven times. Now, I know this current AC Milan side, nothing like the side that did that with Wood Hullet and Van Basten and Rijkaard. And yeah, Mal- yeah. They're nowhere near that. But having said that, last season, and this is just a few months ago, mind, at the end of the season, Last season, there were Champions League semi-finalists, for goodness sake. A few months ago, they were playing in the semi-final of the Champions League. And yeah. now they're playing us, the rookies. The rookies yes. and, of the and also, John. And we've got a good result against them. So Absolutely, we did. Funny lad. And, and they, at the moment, are sitting second in Serie A. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, you yeah. know, they've, they've got... We've got to to keep a sense of proportion. And as I say, this side played in the semi-final of the Champions League last season. Now, if we got to the semi-final of the Champions League this year, we'd think we'd done quite good, wouldn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Or wouldn't we? Wouldn't we, Of course we would have. And uh, and yeah, look, it's it's great. Two results, two clean sheets. That's the most important thing for me uh, this week. And hopefully, as uh, John mentioned, we'll talk about it later. Uh, you know, another clean sheet at the weekend and, and a chance of getting uh, three points at Sheffield United. Uh, lots of questions coming in. We'll try to get through as many of, as we can. Tom Dixon um, says, question from Malcolm and John. Do you think we should uh, we should not change the back four for this game? Then give them a rest against Manchester City. Our back four has just uh, kept back-to-back clean sheets. There's no need to mix them up. A lot of people saying that... Um, that, you know, maybe there should be a change at full back and you know, give you know, give Hall a left uh, the left back slot, give Burn a rest. That seems to be the consensus of opinion on social media, Malcolm. Um, you know, what, what what's your thoughts? Because ultimately, we've got games coming left, right, and center over the next few weeks. I think we'll play three games a week up until November now. Um, you know, and if we continue in the Carabao Cup, if we were to beat Man City next week. Then you know that 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 you know that that's an extra game as well to play and, and, and to figure into the fixture. So, yeah, would you change the back four this weekend or, or keep it the no. same? No, I keep it the same. If I'm, but um, I certainly wouldn't change it against Man City. This back four um, that that we've got, um, they are at best four at the moment, and so they they have got to play against Man City. You, it. it it could become an embarrassment if you mess about with with the team and 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 start feeding other players in. Um, this is this is one um, one cup match 
uh, the, for the pride of every individual player and, and every supporter and for the club itself. You know, don't go, go making a cock up of just purposely weakening the side just for change. And anyway, if you're a, if you're just on the um, on the on the fringe of the first team in the squad, and you and you're told, right, you're going to play against Man City. Oh, cheers! Why can't you play me against Sheffield United? Let me sort of get get a, a, a real touch and a feel of it all, and, and get myself into it. You know what? How am I going to give a real good example of myself against Man City? I could I mean, do it against Sheffield United. I think the point you are asking about, Steve, um, I think looking at Sheffield United, knowing the way Sheffield United play, knowing they go from back to front very quickly, knowing they play the old English game in the physical, I would think this is the one game that would actually suit Dan Byrne because a lot of it will yeah. be played in the air, a lot of it will be yeah. physical challenge. There will not be a lot of clever footballers round his feet tying those long legs in knots in, in this particular mm -hmm. game. I think it's made for him. Having said that, I've got to say, looking beyond that, that Lewis Hall is not just the future of Newcastle, like next season, like Lefemenko will be the future in two seasons' time. Although Trippier might have something to say about that. But, uh, you know, I, I think that Every time I look at Dan Byrne playing left-back, I can't get the sight of Jack Charlton out my head. Because it's like playing Jack Charlton at left-back. Mm -hmm. uh, all long legs, yeah. all no pace, all nothing going forward. And, and, and bless him, I mean, Jack Charlton was good enough to play for England in the World Cup final as a centre-half. Byrne is a centre-half, he's not a left-back. However much he's played there with us, he's got away with it, we've had people around him, he's got a big heart and he sticks to his strengths instead of trying to do, but I think he's tapered terribly, I would play him at Sheffield United, in this defence has kept two clean sheets, but but the sooner after that you get Lewis Hall into this side, because by the way this kid, when he goes forward is a dream, when he goes forward is a dream, when Dan Byrne goes forward he's a nightmare because he's all legs, bless him, and it's all tangling up, and it's where do I go next? And it's not his game. It is no, Lewis Hall's no, game. Absolutely right. Lewis Hall's game. Let him go for what the time he should go forward is for corner kicks and free kicks. Yes, because of his height. But they're yeah. playing left back, playing left back and trying to so in Lewis Hall is a quality kid who's wonderfully comfortable on the ball. He played 16 or something like that games. For last season, for uh, Chelsea, Chelsea's first eight, team when he was eighteen year old. So yes. I mean, he's he's, he's ready. Right, and, and, and I agree with Malcolm. If I may finish, Mal, I, yes, I sure, agree sure. with you that we shouldn't make changes against Manchester City for the sake of it, which often happens in the League Cup. I'm not thinking of Newcastle just, I'm thinking of every club, every Premier League club that, that bring in. We did it at one stage in a match last season, was it the FA? Well, all of a sudden, we'll put it back for in where it was the guys that don't normally play, you know, where you play Lascelles and you, you play... Mm -hmm. 
target in your play and all of a sudden that's ridiculous because that isn't going to work i don't think he dared do that against manchester city because it's yeah, manchester city at home and they would slaughter you but i wouldn't necessarily be against i would play the first team against manchester city with the exception mm -hmm. if i might play hall for burn because hall is the first team for me in the future from there yes. on in he is the first thing. I cannot help it, and bless him, I love the guy to death. I cannot help keep looking at Dan Byrne and not just seeing Jack Charlton, but thinking, you're struggling at the moment. You know why he's getting by? Because he's got a massive heart and because he cares so much and because he's disciplined and because he doesn't try to be a fancy Dan because he knows he can't do that. But if you look at the teams that are top four in the Premier League and are playing in the Champions League, there's nobody got a left back like Dan Bernays. And you know what? You watch Newcastle games and all our opposition target our left back scenario. That's this, that situation. The target that is a Newcastle weakness to go and play in that area on the opposing side's right side against Burn because you might get some joy. More than you'll necessarily get against mm -hmm. uh, Trippier and Shaw and that side, etc., etc. So um, I would go with the same side because I think the match, the same defence because I think the match will probably suit Burn. And by the way, it doesn't matter what I think or Mal thinks or Steve thinks or my, Eddie. I will go and do his own thing, and Eddie, I won't change, won't change Burn at left back at Sheffield United. Not a chance and he, he may not do it against man city either i'm just saying off my back i want as soon as possible i think sheffield united isn't necessarily the match but it could happen i wouldn't be against it i want to get this hole in the side mm -hmm. yeah yes but john there is there is one thing that concerns me and that is that he's not he, he's not been playing any games this season well, we're not going to put that right until he does. Well, yes, but but he's not been playing sort of uh, uh, any games at all. He's not been playing for the under twenty ones or anything like no. that. No, you know, and that's that's concerning because there is a difference between training fitness and match fitness, and it's and, and it's a difference that can seriously make. I think that's true, and, and, and he didn't play pre-season for Chelsea. But if that's a fair to complain, Mal, if that's the way it is when we buy him, how do we put it right? Won't you put it mm. right by playing him and saying, right, yeah, yes. so we'll pull sure. you off. Sure, but, but surely... There's no other way of doing it. Now, yeah. now mm. that this has been allowed, and the further on we go, I mean, he must be up to match sharpness now when he's also been away with England in the 2020s and Southgate pulled him out to train with the, the, the first yeah. during the international fortnight because mm. he wants to encourage young players who seem to have an England future. And so Southgate was rubber stamping him there. Um, you know, we've got to bite the bullet with this kid at some time. We bit the bullet with Tenali and didn't wait to put him in. We put him in from day one. And he's found the going tough, and it can happen. But you know, will he be? A, will he be such a disaster? Will it be such a drop in performance if all took over from Burn? You know, I'm I'm not certain it would. It would be interesting to see, John. Yeah, um, I'm not so sure that Saturday, uh, sorry, Sunday, would be the game 
to put him in. <laughs> you know, Sheffield United just... And well, that's, that's what I said. That's why I would go with Burn because it's a Burn type game on yes. Sunday. Yeah. But once I got that out the way, I would try. I would try. But then you chuck him in against Man City. I would play him against Man City. You right? would be champions. Yeah. Why not? He's, yeah, he's why a not? Team, he's, you know, and he's people have got to remember, but he's but he's only eighteen, and he was a few months younger last season. And, he and, and I tell you what, Malcolm. He was mm. he was younger last season, as you rightly say. Obviously, yeah. he was. He played twice against us, and he looked a good player. Yeah, he, he did. Twice for Chelsea, home and away he against did us. He looked a good player. And um, he looked a good yeah. player. He played eighteen first team games for Chelsea. That's terrific experience, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes. And I, I mean, they they was they were fed up to lose him, but they they had to they had to. Uh, I mean, they've defied the logic and the odds and the rules. A fair play so much they had to take money for whole to to sort of slightly redress yeah, the to, balance to level up the situation yeah open a little corridor and of course the lad was keen to go because his whole family's newcastle united mad and he was getting the chance not to go to um i don't know to uh luton or to fulham or to um or, or to Burnley or somewhere like that in the Premier League, but there were a big club like Newcastle who were in the Champions League. Mm. So, you know, it, it all fit. But I would I would leave the back the way it is against Sheffield United, and then I would introduce, it's just my opinion, I would introduce Hall as soon as I could after that. OK, we're well, halfway through the show. Time for the ads. A big thanks to all our sponsors, Skips and Bins. You can find them at skipsandbins.com or telephone 0800 2545 Email inquiries at skipsandbins.com. Website, skipsandbins.com. Easy contract free and pay-as-you-go waste collection. Big thanks to Mr. Vicky's Sources Handmade in Cumbria. You can order them from their website, mrvickys.co.uk or by telephone on 01768 210 102. A big thanks also to New Workwear. Uh, you can find them at newworkwear.com. They are an agile and dedicated workwear provider. Welcome back as well to United Travel. Uh, they are a UK coaches firm and they are based in uh, the Northeast. They've got 2024 tours and you can contact them on 01670 632. 460 or mobile 0791 4174 Email info at groupTravel.com and they've got a website which is unitedgrouptravel.com. There's no strangers on there to us, just people you haven't met yet. Big thanks to them for their sponsorship. Big thanks as well to Media Arts and they supply all the video technology. If you want to become a member and get a cup, a pen, a membership card and a scarf, then get your smartphone and put it over this QR code. It will take you straight to the membership pack. It's a £25 one-off fee. You can also go to NUFC Matters website and search membership pack to book today. If you want to help the channel, then subscribe to it by hitting the subscribe button. Hit the thumb up under the video to like the video and click share to share to your other social media. We're also available as a podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcast providers. Don't forget, we help the food bank on this channel. If you want to do so virtually, 
go to nufcfansfoodbank.co.uk and make a donation today. The Alan Sheila raffle is back on. 150 tickets, £1 a ticket, win a limited edition signed Alan Shearer ball. End of the day at nufcmatters.com. Okay, uh, lots of questions coming in. I uh, didn't forget Stephen Kennedy's question, which he sent to me via Facebook. And he says, it's quite a long one. Question for Malcolm and John. In a game where a hard-earned point is priceless, bearing in mind we could have snatched it at the end, why did Eddie Howe leave Isaac on for so long? He was treading water for the last 20 minutes. They were overloading down the right at will as he was not tracking back. I believe the correct term is doing a maxi. As much as we could have stolen at the end, we could have easily lost the game in that time, if not for heroic defending and shot-shy Italians. Do you think Eddie Howe was scared of what Isaac's reaction would have been if he'd got the hook earlier? Because as we evolve season after season, he is going to have to make such and much harder decisions. Don't get me wrong. I love our manager a bit. He has loads of goodwill in my bank. However, I can't see why he left him on so long when it was obvious to Wall and Sundry that Isaac's game had run its course 20 minutes before he got the hook. Interesting this, because making hard decisions is what Eddie Howe's going to have to get used to, lads. And, you know, many would say that, you know, he, he, the decision he has to keep making with Wilson and Isaac is, is another one. Um, you know, Barnes and Gordon's the one. Is he going to sort the midfield out? There's lots of decisions to make as a manager, but let's focus on that question from Stephen. Um, you know, the, the Isaac question. What, what was, what's your thoughts on that? Should he have taken him off early? And do you think he's a little bit nervous sometimes about making those decisions early, or is that just he's Stephen's nervous. Mind? No, no. Um, <clears throat> but there could have been other other reasons why it was necessary to leave him on um, regarding other players. But uh, no, no, no. But it, if, if there is one weakness that I've detected uh, um, in Eddie Howe, it is that he doesn't seem to uh, be aware of a tactical change required for the last 10 or 15 minutes, particularly away from home. It, it, that um, if you're 1-0 up, be it at home, be it away from home, if you're 1-0 up and you get to sort of like 15 minutes from the end, you've got to start closing the game down. And Newcastle don't seem to do that. You know, I, I, and uh, I, I remember against Liverpool, um, it, it was all... Uh, um, uh, it was it was all flying forward, flying forward. We were we were getting more players in into the Liverpool penalty area um, than than um, than were outside, and and I thought we're going to get caught here. We're going to get caught for heaven's sake, you know. Ju just get them to sit back a little and uh, and kill the game off. Get the midfield in front of the back four and make sure Liverpool don't. Get breakaways. They and not only did they get one, they got two, and they were exactly the same. They came from exactly the same place, which was the ball into the Liverpool area, knocked to just outside, and all of a sudden, um, away Liverpool went off the edge of their box, and they finished up going all the way through, and the and the goals were scored from almost identical positions by the same guy 
and I and and I I just thought this is balmy. The game should have been killed off, and we don't seem to be doing that. Um, and that's that's down to the manager to say, right, come on, there's there's 15 minutes left. Let's start closing it down. Let's get somebody back sitting in front of the centre halves. Let's just start pulling the width back a little. Um, uh, and and okay, you leave one or two up front. But you don't have five and six all charging into the penalty area. Uh, can I can I say on can I say on Isaac the guy's question on Isaac? I'm glad he brought it up because I have a little bit of a concern. Haven't said all the things that I've said that are optimistic, like um, you know, two games with two positive results and clean sheets, etc., etc., etc. Ironically, I think one of the problems that uh, I felt Isaac didn't look himself and hasn't looked himself in the last couple of games looked quite languid, looked like looked uh, the fire in the belly wasn't mm -hmm. stoked as high as it has been in, in the past. And, and I felt for a while the funny thing is that we've talked about several decisions that Eddie's got to make. I think two of the major ones are with Newcastle United's costliest signings. The two costliest signings are Alexander Isaac and Sandro Tonali. And I think there's two major decisions to be made involving both those players. How can... Because Isaac is absolute quality. He is Champions League quality. But in the last two games, Brentford as well, and when he came on, I know he didn't start because of Wilson in the games before that, he, he hasn't looked the player that he did look at the end of last season and that he looked in Aston Villa game. Um, and you, perhaps we're not playing to his strengths at the moment. He runs, he gets in behind, but he spent most of his time coming short in in Milan coming short to try mm -hmm. to pick up the ball and it wasn't working he's got to be able to get Isaac firing again and he's got to solve the thing we've all talked about which is the Tonali conundrum in midfield what is exactly his best position because that also boomerangs on the Bruno and affects Bruno so that balance in midfield I thought Tonali looked like as if he had all the cares of the world on his shoulder at AC Milan. It didn't inspire him going back to that club. It seemed to leave him with a weight on his shoulders. He seemed, I mean, he seemed really like finding the whole thing very, very difficult. In the game, passed him by. There's absolutely no question. He got hooked early and I felt from there because was it too early? 72 minutes. It looked a slight bit like humiliation. Sure in front of his own crowd but having said you know with five minutes to go it would have been different but the game passed them by and the game passed Isaac by and they are two problems that's got to be solved I mean I would think that regardless of what or what he doesn't do with Isaac that Callum Wilson who can't play three games in a week 
and therefore we knew he wouldn't play it started AC Milan because he played 98 minutes against Brentford and he rarely does that he played the full 90 in the eight minutes added on and he when's the last time he's done that so we knew he wasn't going to play in midweek he got on his sub late doors but he wasn't going to start and I think there's a case for starting him in an old-fashioned English league match which is what Sheffield United will produce and it might produce a sharpness up there on Sunday but um I, I think that Eddie, the two most costly players in the history of Newcastle United is Isaac and Tenali. And they cost a lot of money for a reason. They've got class. They've got ability. Yeah. But getting the best out of them in Tenali's situation, it's how you, what position you play him in. With Isaac, it's what service you give him. But both those things have to be addressed and addressed before Sunday. Yeah, I'm, I just wonder, John, whether Tonali... Now, Tonali, I understand, um, he's having a problem grasping the English language, so it, it's, it, 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 it's going to take a, a long while before he starts to understand what people are saying to him. Um, and, uh, and, and that's, that's difficult when, when you need you know, immediate reaction from information gathered sort of thing. From, from what's going on on the field, um, but uh, uh, and and so uh, and because he's because it, it's taking time with the language. I just wonder whether he returned to Milan and was homesick because he's not settling easily like Bruno did um, and others. He's not settling into uh, uh, life in England. And the English language as as well as others have done. I, I think, and I'm worried about it, I think that he found it all too much emotionally at Milan because his heart's in that club. He was a supporter as a kid. He as wanted kid. to go there when he was with Brazier. He didn't want to leave. Now, there's a big difference before fans jump on that statement. It, it wasn't a matter if he didn't want to come to Newcastle. It was a matter if he didn't initially want to leave AC Milan. It was explained to him that you're going to have to go because we need the money. We need the money. We've got to sell our best player to rebalance the books, etc. And then he was more than happy to come to St. James's Park. But I think he emotionally went back there and he found it tough because that's where he's comfortable. The funny mm -hmm. thing is... Um, uh, and everybody's different. He has got a language problem that he is finding difficult and he is taking lessons to, to try to learn English. He would have learned it a lot quicker if Gaza was still here because he would have taught him English straight away. Like, I mean, there, yeah. there, would, be, there, would, there would have been no problem if Gaza had been still here. But he's not, so there's a problem. But the interesting thing, and we're all different, and some people have a natural punish for languages and some people don't. But Bruno couldn't speak English, you know. And he spoke English so quick, he learned English off the yeah. hoof. And it might have been street English that he learned, if you know what I mean, as opposed to the grammar of the, of the English language. But he learned it very, very quickly. Tenali hasn't been able to do that. Also, Bruno's a bit of an extrovert. Tenali's very much an introvert as a man, you know, not as a player, as a person. And, and and so, you know, he's quiet in the dressing room, he's this, that. So I think it is tougher for people like that. And it is tough for him. Um, but we need him to get 
up to speed on that and we need to tactically because individually Tonali and Bruno are exceptional footballers at yeah. the moment at the moment they don't play together and it's up to Eddie who was very keen to bring Tonali in and was equally very keen mm. to unleash Bruno through a new signing to find out how the best way of doing that is and it's difficult at the moment because he couldn't work on the midfield through the international fortnight because they were all away. Joe Linton, Bruno and Tonali were all away, so he couldn't work on them in training. And now they're back home after AC Milan. They've got Sheffield United, Man City, Burnley, PSG. There's not a lot of time on the training ground, but we've really got to get that balance right. It is absolutely crucial that we get the midfield balance right. And while we're trying to do it, the man that's putting a stick in plaster on the saw is Sean Longstaff. And thank yes. goodness for him, because he is able to hold it together to a certain extent, while the intricacies of the best use of, of Tonali and of Bruno is worked out. Mm. Interesting stuff. Yeah, I got a, agree, John, on that. Got a few we have got a few questions. I mean, we've, we've, you've covered the midfield stuff and uh, lots of people asking about Bruno, Tonali, etc. So I think we'll we'll move on from those. So apologies to those who put those questions in. Uh, uh, we've only got about 15 minutes left and I do want to look at Sheffield United. So let's let's just, a uh, couple of answers to these ones. Andy H says, could you ask Supermac how he got on with Alan Gowlin? Um, I did not like how Lee used to play one off another in the papers. Normally at Supermac's expense, says Andy. Yeah, that's what uh, Gordon Lee did. I got on fine with Alan, um, I, and uh, uh, I, I saw him not that long ago, um, and I have no problems with him. He's a he is a lovely, lovely lad. Mm -hmm. It was Gordon Lee who was naughty, really naughty, and yes, he did sort of play us off, but uh, but we weren't going to have that, and um, and. Uh, just a little tale of something that happened that uh, before the season started, um, Gordon Lee, he walked into the dressing room and he, and he came and he stood right in front of me and he said, uh, I've just signed the man who is going to score more goals than you. I said, no, you haven't because he doesn't exist. And, uh, and, and Gordon Lee got a bit huffy and he had signed uh, uh, Alan Gowling. But what he did at the start of the season was he he got he played Alan Gowling in in the centre forward position, and he told me that I, that he wanted me to play in a dropped off position, and so he sort of moved me sort of steadily into midfield, and uh, I, which I thought was totally bizarre, utterly bizarre. Um, and in the end, I, I, mind, we, we scored a lot of goals between us, Alan Gowing and I, that season. Um, and I suppose it was, it was sort of competitive, although it, it, it was the, the competitiveness was sort of forced on us by the manager. And we used to think that the only centre forward that moved to midfield was Joe Linton. 
And it wasn't the, it wasn't there was Malcolm McDonald. The tactical genius, the yeah. tactical genius wasn't Eddie Howe moving Joe Lynn in the midfield. It was Gordon Lee moving sure. in centre forward in the midfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, oh, it, but it was bizarre the things that Gordon Lee did. Really bizarre. I was um, going to say, well, yeah. Malcolm, we've only got quarter of an hour, not not fourteen. No, years. One, yeah. one thing he did, John. One, one thing he did, uh, which, which um, it, it's really no good in a dressing room. But he he split the dressing room, and we were all we were all very friendly with each other. But Gordon Lee was purposely creating division. And I, I've never known a manager ever do that before in my life. He, all managers want togetherness in the dressing room, mm -hmm. and he was working on division. I was yeah. going to say, if 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 there's a saying that you win Nauten football with kids, a more obvious saying is that you win Nauten football with a split dressing room. I, and you can, ask, you can ask Dan Hogg at the moment or, or various other John, managers. I, 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 when I first joined Fulham, when I was when I was eighteen, that was a split dressing room. Yeah, and yeah. it was living in hell. It really was, uh, and it was the it was all the senior pros um, split from everybody else. Oh dear me, Bobby Robson was it was the, his first manager's job, and well, what a task he had. Okay, another question from Andy Martin says, Malcolm, who would you say was the better footballer, Stan Bowles or Rodney Marsh? Or did you did you not rate either player? I I I never uh, uh, I never make comparisons because Stan Bowles uh, he oh he had incredible skills. Rodney Marsh was incredibly skilled himself, but quite different to Stan Bowles. Quite different indeed. So really, you can't make the comparison, and you have to just take them for what they are. I, uh, I can. I can tell you that Rodney Marsh used to drive managers crazy. I, I, I remember being on the England bench at Hampden Park. We were playing Scotland. I think it was in about 1973. Um, 72, I think. And yes, yeah, 72. And we were 1-0 up. Rodney Marsh was playing up front. And... and it, and he, he started doing all sorts in this in the Scotland area, sort of rollbacks and and nutmegs and all sorts. And Alf Ramsey, he he, he turned to Harold Shepherdson, the coach, and he and he just said, "Get that effing clown off!" And then he turned <laughs> and he turned to me and he said. You get changed and don't be a smart ass. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I I got on the field and Marshy came off. Um, but the previous game, I I'd made him a, a couple of goals. Um, you know, and, and he 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 was sometimes an absolute joy to play with, other times he was real hard work. And Bolsey, I, I never really played with him. Um, but he had an awful lot of skill, uh, not outrageously so, like uh, Rodney Marsh, though. Okay, I we've mean, got time. Go on, John. Stan's, Stan's best skill was in the betting shop, though, to be truthful. Oh, dear me. He, uh, he, he knew how to lose a packet full of money, no problem whatsoever. 
Yeah. Oh, John, the, the stories in West London about him were legion. They yeah, really bless, were. Bless him. Okay, I've got time to squeeze in one more question by Malcolm. Apologies to those of you who I didn't get to uh, because we've got to look at the Sheffield game before we finish. Um, we'll go for Jasmine's question. Did Alex Stock ever discuss his time as manager at Roma? No, he didn't, actually. Um, what a good question. I'd forgotten all about his time there. Um, it, <laughs> I, I'm not sure how he would have been um, uh, been accepted in, in, in an Italian dressing room because uh, he was very much a, a sort of um, stiff-backed sergeant major type um, um, manager at times. Uh, no, he never he never did. Um, but uh, of course, he'd been a tank commander in the um, in the Second World War. Um, and uh, just to remind everybody, when Yeovil beat Sunderland in the FA Cup, just to cheer all Newcastle United fans up, um, uh, it was it was the result was two one, and Alex Stock was. He was the player manager of Yeovil, and he scored the winning goal. Uh, so, yeah, see, so he was a bit of a hero up here, I think, at the time. He, he was the Ronnie Radford of Yeovil Town. <laughs> yeah, <certainly. laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, for me, he was an absolutely terrific manager. But um, yeah. It, it, I've I'd never ever heard him ever speak of being over in Italy and uh, managing Roma. Okay, we are at that point of uh, the programme where we look ahead to uh, the game at the weekend. Newcastle United travel to Sheffield United in a return to Premier League action on Sunday. Um, they play the Blades at their home, Bramall Lane. It's a 4.30 kickoff. It's live on Sky Sports. All the tickets for the away section have been sold. Team news we'll find out tomorrow, but we do know Joe Linton and Joe Willock are still both out and Emil Kraft is back in training, but is yet to make a plane return. And the availability of Martin Dubravka is also to be confirmed. Ollie McBurney will be missing for Sheffield United due to suspension. Uh, the Blades, uh, managed by Paul Hackenbottom, remain uh, winless since their Premier League return. They've been beaten at home by Crystal Palace and Manchester City and on the road by Nottingham Forest and Spurs. The only point this season... Uh, comes in a 2-2 draw against fellow strugglers Everton at Bramall Lane. Referee is Stuart Atwell, uh, making a quick return uh, in a Newcastle game. He uh, overlooked the 3-1 defeat at Brighton. And on VAR, it is Darren England. So, uh, this game, uh, Malcolm, a chance to get three clean sheets in a row, a chance to get maybe another three points on the board. How do you see this one going? Well, I, yes, I think it's a great opportunity. This is, you know, the these types of games, um, particularly away from home, um, this is this is where you look to to rack the points up. And I, I will be very disappointed if um, if if Newcastle certainly, um, if, uh, I should be very disappointed if if they don't at least get a draw. But I think that they they should be able to um, to beat Sheffield United and. The way Sheffield United play, dear me, it's like going back to the days of Wimbledon, getting promoted into, into the top division. Um, and Watford, they, they were a bit like it as well. Um, 
Yeah, I mean they should have, they should have Douglas Bardo at centre forward, Sheffield United, don't <laughs> they? Because they will yeah, bomb you from the air, like you know. Yeah, um, it, but it, it, but this kind of this way of playing football, it's it's been done over and over and over again at different times, and it's it's relatively simple to play against to defend against, and that is that you push them as far up to the center to the halfway line as um as as you can and and when they're about to knock it long as the ball comes as the foot comes back to knock it long you just drop right off and you and and the center half should be collecting the ball and and, and getting newcastle playing again um and it it is so simple um it, you know, remember I went to Arsenal and Arsenal were absolutely brilliant at it under Don Howe. Absolutely brilliant at this. That as soon as the foot comes back, you everybody drops off. And and and, and you, you pick the you pick the long balls up and you get playing it um away. So I I really do think that the the the, the, the way that the back four play because it, it it's it's made for them it really is this this game it's made for them and that they they should be setting up the midfield and the forwards um throughout the game and i i, I think that we'll win this game okay Pro prediction from you malcolm prediction from me yeah i'm i'm going to continue with a clean sheet and uh, and i reckon that we'll um that will win 2-0 and it, it, it's made for for the forwards as well um at Sheffield United uh particularly I think Isaac I think his skill um it, that should see him um getting through the back line time and again okay John what's your yep. thoughts on this game at the weekend well uh having lost three Premier League games on the bounce I'm now looking for us to win three Premier League games on the bounce. We've got the right start against Brentford. There's no reason why we can't beat Sheffield United. Uh, and if we do, we'll beat Burnley at home in the next league game. So that would be three successive wins in the Premier League. And I think that'll happen. The Blades have taken one point out of 15 this season. Yeah. Now, if that doesn't tell you that they'll go down... It's just a matter of who with. It'll be with Luton. Will it be with Everton or will it be with Burnley? Um, but I think they will They will go down. I think this game is made for Newcastle United. It'll be more physical than, than clever on the ground. It'll be a more physical challenge. That will suit Newcastle OK. That will suit the defence OK. And um, like Malcolm... I, I exact same scoreline. I'm going two nil Newcastle. Yeah, just just one thought. Um, because in in all fairness, what happened at Sheffield United last season was was absolutely incredible. Um, and well done to the to the manager. Is it Heckenbottom? His name? John? Yes, Paul Hecken. Paul Heckenbottom, yeah. who they're Heckenbottom. now talking about right. sacking because he got he, one point out of fifteen. Right. Well, he he, he got Sheffield United uh, promoted last season, 
and uh, and there was a complete blanket ban on 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 them Correct. spending any money, wasn't there? I mean, funny enough, Malcolm. Yes, that's absolutely true. Against all odds, he got them. The, the, he got them up against all odds. And the gratitude for that is that five games in the new season, there's people in the boardroom who are chuntering about yeah. wanting Chris Wilder to go back um, to go back oh, no. as manager of Sheffield United. This is the same Chris Wilder that got the sack in Middlesbrough when they were third bottom of the championship. But mm. evidently, because he's got history with Sheffield United, and he did do wonderful things as the manager, but all of a sudden he should come back because they're in trouble. Well, the interesting thing with this... he's not been given the chance to, to actually improve the side well, to to anything like Premiership standards, well, so he's, he's, he's not got he's got he's not got the chance now because they haven't been buying in the close season. No, no, to, to, to no, be a Premier League side, there's still a ban on on, on them, isn't there? they anyway. I'm not concerned about them. I know Heckenbottom, bless sure. him, as a player, as a player, spent all his time on a tour of the northeast. Do you realise he played for Sunderland, Hartlepool? Darlington and Gateshead. He played for all those sides, but I don't <laughs> think that his love of the Northeast as a player will become a, lo a love of the Northeast as a manager. I don't think he'll have any sympathy no. with us because he needs a result. And by the way, people say, Oh, you need a result. A 6 0 defeat's a result. He needs to pick up points on Sunday, big, big time. And you know what? He's not going to. No, he won't. Okay, my prediction, lads. I am going to be as competent as you guys this weekend. I am going for a 2-0 win, another Newcastle clean sheet and two goals to boot as well. Uh, so it's a clean sweep for me and the lads this week. Uh, delighted to say that uh, the talk in at Louis Liquor's uh, uh, store went well uh, with the lads. We will uh, update you on the social media uh, front and on the podcast as to when they will next be appearing there. But uh, as always... Great show. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks to Malcolm. Thanks to John. And we will see you all next week. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. We still do seven NUFC Matters show a week for free. But if you want to help support NUFC Matters, then there are a few ways of doing it. Hit the like button on each live broadcast and video. This helps the channel grow. Hit the subscribe button and select the all notifications bell so you don't miss a single show. If you want to help us financially, then you can join the channel using this button with the membership starting at $1.99 a month. Or you can drop us a donation in the chat using a super sticker. We're also looking for sponsors. If you'd like your brand advertised on the flies for the show and featured during the ad break, then email john at nufcmatters.com to arrange today.